20 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, we'll continue to watch the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average. It, it's holding. It's um, 20,052 right now, up 141 points. Um, and again, it's it is a psychological number. You know, whenever you have the zero-year things, uh, 20,000 is, of course, one of those sort of zeros, and it's it's psychological more than anything else. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden people are making huge amounts of money today as opposed to other days. I mean, it's up like 0.7%, which is, you know, a significant amount, but still um, 20,000 is a significant number, especially for all the people who predicted that, gee, Donald Trump is going to take office and the bottom is going to fall out of the economy. Now, who knows what's going to happen six months from now or a year from now or two years from now, but at least um, short term, the stock market appears to be approving of a number of the things that Donald Trump is doing. And, of course, that's no surprise with the, his commitment to his commitment to build the pipelines, for example. Now, whether or not that continues when we see moving forward, I understand he decided to back out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, uh, with an idea of negotiating new deals. Um, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But at least right now, um, it is good news. You might remember this as an issue before the election. Now, back before November, every talking head around, with a couple exceptions, and I was one of the exceptions, thought that Russ Feingold was going to beat Ron Johnson. As a matter of fact, we have the tape. I predicted that that Johnson was was going to win. I didn't see that he was going to win by as big a margin as he did, but but he won. Um, but everybody thought that Ron Johnson was going to lose. You know, Russ Feingold was going to be the guy that gets elected. You know, this is his seat. Johnson was a usurper. You know, he'll be tossed out. Well, it didn't exactly work out that way. But along the way, one of the things that I like so much about Ron Johnson is he's a guy, and you can disagree with him on particular issues, but to me, he's a guy who went to Washington to get things done, who has a very strong concept of what is right and wrong. And he's been pushing something called the right to try legislation. Now, right to try, it. what this would do is it would allow people with certain terminal illnesses to have access to experimental medications that have not yet been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, in, in order to get various treatments passed, and, and I'm not going to quibble with or question, you know, the, the whole idea of the, all the different hoops that we need, we make drug companies and treatments jump through in order to, you know, become approved in the U.S. But we are much more rigorous in the U.S., as far as a testing process and as far as the clinical trials and things like that than they are in many other countries. So what this what this law would do is it would allow patients to try and use drugs which are in the FDA pipeline but have not been approved yet. And there's various conditions that would be applied and again it, it would this would apply to terminally ill patients. Now if you have ever experienced a situation with a family member who has a catastrophic illness, a terminal illness, you know that there is nothing that you would do. There's no mountain that you would, nothing you would not do. There's no mountain that you would not move if you could figure out a way to get 
your loved ones some relief or some treatment or, or, or whatever. Or, or maybe, you know, Lord forbid, something that would extend their life or the quality of life or, or whatever. Um, when Johnson introduced this bill, and it had sponsors from both sides of the aisle. Harry Reid, who was at the time the Senate, uh, who, who was at the time, you know, in the Senate, he killed the bill, um, wouldn't allow it to come up for a, a vote because, well, candidly, it was a political move. He did not want, in an election year, Ron Johnson to get credit for doing something that would help terminally help people. So he killed it. And if you wonder why some of us have this sort of jaded view of politicians, why we're cynical, it's something like that. That you might have somebody who is suffering again from some life-threatening illness, and maybe there's this drug out there that's going to help them. And, and chances are it's probably not. But, but you don't know. Why shouldn't they have the opportunity to do it? In any event, Harry Reid kills the bill, doesn't get a vote, and he did it for pure political purposes. I mean, I remember talking to Senator Johnson on the air at the time. There was no other reason to do this other than, gee, this was Ron Johnson's bill. He's running against Russ Feingold. Feingold's a Democrat. Um, Johnson's a Republican. I don't want Ron Johnson getting credit for doing this. Okay, Harry Reid is gone. The Republicans control the U.S. Senate, and Ron Johnson is back, and so is the right to try legislation. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, is this, is this a good idea? Again, terminally ill patients who meet various conditions, should they be allowed to receive drugs that have not yet formally been approved by the FDA, but are in the pipeline. The idea is essentially these people who have these conditions really have nothing to lose. So why not? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And I guess if you've ever had a loved one you know, in a situation like this where you're just saying, look, get, let me do something that's going to try to give me some hope or something like that, Right. Does this bill make sense? 414-799-1620. Critics say, well, it's creating false hope in people. Drug companies don't necessarily have to give this to, to patients. They can still say no. All right. It, does anybody have anything to lose out of this? Is this a law that makes sense? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I guess I just feel very strongly about this. Um, right now, there's a very complicated and extensive approval that you have to go through if you've got new drugs that, that are going to be used to treat patients. Um, and it takes a long time, and I don't have any problem with that. Ron Johnson is introducing what is called the Right to Try Bill, which would say for terminally ill patients who meet various conditions, you would have the right to try drugs that are in the FDA approval process, but that have not formally been approved. And the idea being, well, we don't know that it's going to work, but what do you have to lose? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Alex in Port Washington. Alex, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I, I was at one time a, um, a pharmaceutical rep in New York City, calling on Sloan Kettering, which is one of the largest cancer yes. hospitals in the country. And this goes back maybe 15, 20 years ago, but at that time, <clears throat> we used to provide medications like this at all times. And basically, it was only used in situations where there 
you know, the, the patients are in the final stages and maybe have 60, 90, 120 days to live. Yes. And, and, and these drugs were administered all the time to these types of patients. You know, the patients would sign off knowing that, you know, to right. avoid any liability and things like that. So it's, it's, I, it's, it's kind of unheard of that you would stop a situation like this because these patients have nothing to lose. Yeah, right. It's the right to try. Exactly. You you know it's going to be inevitable, and, and you appreciate maybe the drug isn't going to work, and, and maybe maybe the drug will even make things worse. I mean, theoretically. But again, when you're, when you're looking at terminally ill patients and the prognosis is like you're talking about, don't you want to give people some degree of hope? Why, why not give them the right to try? Yeah, and sometimes these drugs actually ended up working out, you know? Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, they actually made the patients worse, but at least it was up to the physician and, and the patient to make this decision, yeah. not some bureaucrat in Washington. It, exactly. Now, th- now, thanks for the call. And again, I, I don't, now, if, you know, whenever I talk about this, somebody always says, well, you're saying that insurance companies should have to cover this? Well, no, that, that's, I, I'm, I'm talking about this more in theory. Here, here's the other reality. I mean, I, for example, I, I know or have, indirectly know of, you know, people who have gone outside the country, for example, because, you know, there are treatments or whatever that haven't been approved in the FDA, but you can fly to France and and have them. So I'm kind of like thinking, okay, well, it's one thing if you've got the wherewithal to fly to France, you can have this treatment, but here in the United States, you you can't. It just, again, I'm not encouraging like every fly-by-night drug a manufacturer or every like kind of crazy drug. I'm not saying that that necessarily needs to be in the case, but for stuff that's in the pipeline already, but still a couple years away from being approved for the terminally ill people who don't have a couple years, why, you know, why not? Um, let's talk to Harlan in Brookfield. Harlan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yes. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, my wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's four years ago and, as you know, there is no known cure. So, uh, you know, th- there's trials and trials and trials, and they go through the first stage, second stage, third stage, but it takes about three to five years before they know yep. whether it's done any good or not. So why not rush it along sooner? Because yep. their disease, it's not going to get better. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. So, and, as, and as long as... As long as the patient knows that, and as long as the patient's family knows that, and as long as the doctor knows that, and you're willing to to take a chance and try it, um, you know, why not? How's your wife doing, Harlan? Uh, well, I, it, it's a sad day for me because I, I uh, Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I pre- I believe yeah. me. I understand. I <laughs> believe me. I I, yeah. I understand. Thank you. You'll be in our prayers. Thanks for the call. No, I um. I, I understand. Um, Sue in Mequon. Sue, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Um, yes, I believe um, anything should be available for somebody who's terminally ill. I think sometimes it's a matter of um, needing more time, not necessarily not knowing that you're going to die or live. I'm sorry, I have to go. Okay, <laughs> very emotional. Thanks. I just, it's, I know it's a very emotional subject, and that's why. I have to tell you, I mean, I've seen, and I know I used this word a little earlier, I, I've seen cynical political ploys, and this was one, the, the stunt that Harry Reid pulled several months ago to tie up this bill, not on the merits. You know, if you want to argue against this on the merits, okay, but that wasn't what he was doing. He tied it up because he didn't want Ron Johnson to get credit for this in an election season, and that was 
This word is overused in, in our election season now, but that was to me just absolutely despicable. Sue and Franklin. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sue. Um, I have a friend that's on an experimental drug uh, for cancer, and she has to pay $18,000 a month for this experimental drug. They ended up finally getting help with that, but it is, it's keeping her alive. It's the only thing that's keeping her alive. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't... As a practical matter, you know, people ask me, I mean, how are you going to handle the payments and who should pay? I just that that's that's a step down the road. I mean, first of all, it just seems to me you, you should have access to this for these people who are in this situation, and then we'll worry about all the other stuff later on. But in the first place, you, you got to allow them give people a chance. If there's a chance that something might work, why the heck not do it? Absolutely, and she is doing so much better now. It, it's really. I'm happy to see it. I was really worried about her. So well, right, you know, and, and the and the truth is, most of the stuff it, it most of the stuff's probably not going to work. But if you get that case, Sue, that it, like in your friend's case, where there's some experimental treatment that's working, you know, go with God. You know, and, and who knows how long it's going to work, but you're, you're buying time, and that's that's what it's all about. I guess that's all you can ask for, right? Well, no, that, right, ex- exactly. I mean, that's. It, it's, you know, there, there's no good answer, and these are always horrible sort of situations, but I think people should have the right to try these type of things. Um, just because, again, when you're faced with some of these catastrophic diagnoses and some of these issues, you, you want to do you, you want to do everything you possibly can, whether you're the patient or whether you're a family member. You, you want to make sure you've done everything you possibly could to say, okay, we did everything. There's there's nothing left to do, and now it's in God's hands. Um, David in Milwaukee. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. So I really appreciate you bringing uh, up this topic. It's um, very interesting, and you know the one angle I completely agree with you on that. If you've got a terminally ill patient, you know sure. why not allow them to do whatever they can. Uh, the other angle um, that I t- mentioned to Hondo that I really appreciate about this is that you know many times these patients are trying experimental drugs, and even though it might not help them, they're involved in basically the research and development for medicine, yeah. and that is going to help other people down the road. And right. that's a that's really, I, I would almost say that's heroic. Well, yeah, and it, you, you know, you make a really interesting point, because maybe this is the type of thing that, that would speed up the FDA's process. If you had a handful of terminally ill patients who used this, um, that's that, that, but, it, but it was working, you know, that's... That's fine. I mean, then then you know, okay, maybe this is something that we want to advance. Now, now thanks for the call. I, again, uh, Ron Johnson has brought this bill back, um, and that's that's outstanding. And I think it's um, I, I hope it passes this time. It should have passed last time. Eleven twenty seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's eleven thirty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's a Wednesday night game in the middle of January, but the Bucks match up with the Seventy Sixers may be more important than you think. Greg Matzik explains why tonight on Sports Central. That is six oh seven. All right, everybody is familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, the Black Lives Matter movement, I guess, part of the thing is it's it is this amorphous thing that means different things to different people. But to to some people, 
I, I think it, it's very, very clear that one of the messages of the Black Lives Matter movement is that um, Western society is perpetrating a war on, on black people. And that their need, that's the, that's the whole thing. You've got police officers who are indiscriminately shooting, you know, unarmed black teenagers for no reason. Okay, so that's, you know, that, that's, that's it. Now, I understand that is not all of what the Black Lives Matter movement is. But, again, it may, might mean different things to different people. Okay, so here's the story. Philadelphia, a Philadelphia school district teachers group, is planning six days of action um, this week, encouraging educators to introduce optional curriculum and activities to promote and teach the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the activities range from the revolution is always now coloring pages for young students to a discussion of the movement and a discussion of uh, again, the, the history of this and the argument that, you know, African-Americans have been oppressed. Um, the organizers want teachers to think about lessons based on the 13 tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement, from empathy to diversity to transgender affirming and to being unapology, uh, unapologetically black. The argument is we have to validate our students' experiences. Many students, and in the Philadelphia School District, um, they estimate that about 51% of the pupils are African-American. Uh, some of the people pushing this say we have to validate our students' experiences. Uh, many of our students have had negative experiences with police officers. To ignore that is to deny the reality in a way that doesn't make sense. All right, so there's this optional curriculum that's going to be out there. A number of other teachers, though, are, are pushing back. They're saying, wait wait a second, this material is, is controversial. Um, to some of us, we view this as, as objectionable, and, you know, we just don't think that this belongs, you know, in, in the schools, at least not as part of an optional curriculum that you're going to, to teach, um, especially when— Again, aspects of the Black Lives Matter movement have, I, I think, you know, an, an anti-police sentiment. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, six days of instruction, various programs all around the Black Lives Matter movement. Is that appropriate in this context in a public school setting or is it a recipe for disaster? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. To me, and feel free to disagree, this is completely and totally inappropriate in, in this context. If you want to develop a curriculum where you teach social justice issues, and you teach it from... I don't know, a, a balanced perspective or whatever. That, that's fine. But it seems to me that that's something that you do in conjunction with the school board and primed and thought out lesson plans, and you figure out what the message is going to be, not just, hey, you know, we're, we're going to teach the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to do stuff to, we're going to call it Black Lives Matter Week, and we're going to do something to, you know, call attention to this. 414-799-1620 is the number. Rich and Brown Deer. Rich, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? This is garbage. I can't believe anybody's even bringing this up as, as 
that this isn't some sort of joke. They're not just only bringing it up, they're doing it. <laughs> this is, all it's doing is exacerbating the problem. You're basically celebrating what they're doing, and that's what they did and do is mm-hmm. not working. All, all it's doing is continuing to split up uh, two races. Right. That's that's the worst thing we could possibly do right now. Well, yeah, and I guess, I mean, thanks to Call Rich, I guess I look at this, too, as saying, okay, what, because the Black Lives Matter movement is kind of this amorphous thing. I mean, I, I don't, and even I think if you would talk to leaders of the Black Lives Movement Matter, that they... It means different things to to different people. You know, you've got some crazy people out in Madison associated with the group who, you know, want I I don't want police officers in in the community. Police officers are an oppressing force. You know, you've got other people who have perhaps a more nuanced and moderate type of view. But the the bottom line of all this is again, if you want to teach social justice issues, as long as it's age appropriate, that that's fine. But don't you have to develop? Don't you have to think about this? And don't you have to have lesson plans? and say, okay, we're going to do this coordinated sort of thing, and, and these are the messages that we want to have. And maybe you've got some teachers who um, are do reflect like the anti-police sentiment that is reflected by some in the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, all right, is that an appropriate thing to teach, you know, in, in schools? And, and what's age appropriate? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, this is yet another story in the news that makes me glad I am no longer teaching. Because <laughs> you would have been one of those teachers saying, what are we doing? No, I'm not going to be teaching this. Are you guys crazy? Yeah, I would I would have said that this is a huge disservice to students because it is really just distorting the fact that most police shootings are actually done in self-defense. Yeah. Well, well again, and if, if you, like I say, Jeff, if you want to have a, a conversation, as long as it's age appropriate, and I don't, I don't know what grade you just start doing this, if you want to talk about, you know, you know, conditions in urban America and the relationship between persons of color and the police. I, I can see doing that in the context of some, uh, of some, you know, class, but you want to do it in a thoughtful fashion. You want to know what the kids are reading. You want to make sure that there's a balanced portrayal of this. And this doesn't sound like anything like that. It's just stuff that's going to be thrown on the wall and let's see what sticks. Yeah, it's it's propaganda as, as opposed to responsible conversation. Um, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right. One more thing I want to do before the program ends. I was talking to a young friend of mine who was looking for apartments. And one of the places that he was looking at was over a bar. And, okay, now, you, Hondo, I'm looking. You are just shaking your head. All right, this, this is what I want to discuss in the time remaining to us. Okay, my, my, my friend, young friend, was looking at an apartment. The apartment was over a bar, and that was that was the issue. Would you like to live over a bar? In another life, a long, 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 long time ago, I dated a woman who lived over a bar, and there were pluses and there were minuses to that. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. All right. Help my friend out on a cold, snowy Wednesday morning. Uh, I see it's cold. It's 35 degrees and kind of a messy Wednesday morning. All right. Would you consider, you're looking for an apartment, would you consider living over a bar? And this is, 
I mean, this is a bar. It's 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 not some like fancy restaurant. We're talking about like a corner bar, one of the apartments above there. Is that a recipe for disaster, or do you think it could be fun? Apartments clean, reasonably priced, but the question is, you're over a bar. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll free talk line. We discuss next eleven forty four. Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ. <laughs> Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Eric Bilstadt, when you were younger, before wife and children, you're looking for that first apartment? Yeah. Okay, you find a nice apartment, but it's over a bar. Would you Would you take it? You know what? At the time, I would think that was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I, after I, the fact, I think when I would be like, yeah, uh, but no. I See, see, Hondo is absolutely, he's out there saying no. As well. I, the, the reason this came up is I have a, a younger friend who was... Um, First apartment, found it. It's over mm-hmm. a bar, yeah. you know, it, and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's like there's all these like different pros and cons. So I see my first apartment in Milwaukee was a block away from Water Street. So that was a big deal for me at the time. Hey, right. we're right near water. So, yeah, right, but, but you're near it. You're not right. You're not right over it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. I am. Um, no, I mean, actually, it's, it is a true story. I dated this woman in college who lived above a bar and um, actually. I was going to say that she didn't have far to go when I drove her to drink, but actually what would really, what happened more often is that when she tossed my chunky butt out, I didn't have far to go to get a drink. <laughs> that's really what it, that's uh-huh. really what ended up happening um, more frequently. I, I just I think it would be okay. Now in law school, I went to Marquette Law School. I had a friend who lived behind a bar. He lived, there was, at the time, and anybody who went to Marquette of a certain age would know this, there was a a bar called the Avalanche Bar, and the Avalanche Bar was... It, it it was it was it was a dive bar, and I and I say that with, with affection. And the Avalanche was sort of this melting pot because you had this was before Marquette started buying up a lot of the land down there and kind of gentrifying it. The the Avalanche Bar it, it attracted you had like the street guys who would come in because it was a shot in a beer type of bar. You know, you'd get the bottle of red, white, and blue and the shot, and you'd have these guys that just kind of like came with it. And, and they were always there. And then you had all the, the young students, for example, who, you know, would, would come and they'd hang out. And then you had, you know, some of the lawyers from around the area. It was just, it was an interesting melting pot. And I always sort of liked it. But my buddy lived right behind there in these, the, 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 these, apartments that were there at the time and they were kind of dumpy apartments but it was right across right behind the alley and i mean the alley was only a couple feet wide so what would happen is after closing time you would have first of all you'd have all the noise of the people who didn't want to close but then you'd have um some of the the area residents who would decide to dumpster dive, who would be looking for, like, liquor that might be left in bottles and things like that. And I, I think my friend went for, like, two and a half years and just did not get a night's sleep at all because it was just the noise that was there afterwards. That being said, I think I'd do it. I mean, I, t- I told him. I said, there's no reason not to. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to have to deal with things like people standing outside your front door and smoking and all that type of stuff. But I, I actually think, plus, as somebody who believes— that we go through life in part for the stories we can tell. I, I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, you live over a bar for a year or two, and you will, you will get stories out of that, that you will be able to tell 10, 20, 30 years, you know, down, down the road. Don't know what those stories are, and they might fall into that category of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I have no doubt that there are going to be stories. Hey, Donald Trump, 
Uh, big news. He says that he is going to decide on the next Supreme Court justice, who that nominee is going to be. Of course, we, we know that um, ever since uh, Justice Anton, Antonin Scalia passed away last February, there has been, there's been a vacancy on the Supreme Court. It's four and four, conservatives versus liberals, and a, a lot of stuff isn't getting done. Um, so Donald Trump says he, he's narrowing his choice down. He's going to be announcing the decision sometime next week. Big story in the New York Times today. Um, Democrats are essentially saying, at least some, are saying that it doesn't matter who Donald Trump nominates. doesn't matter. They're, they're not going to confirm him. The idea being this is going to be payback for Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland was, of course, the guy nominated by Barack Obama, who uh, Republicans said, OK, we're, we're just not going to confirm him. We're going to wait till the end of the election, um, and then we're going to decide. And actually, that turned out to be pretty well, to, to do pretty well. For many appointments, other judges, other appeals court judges or district court judges, you, you do not need 60 votes for a United States Supreme Court justice. You, you do. So, you know, Democrats theoretically could filibuster anybody that Donald Trump nominates. And I guess the question is going to be you know, how, how many people will do that. And I think right now part of the strategy um, – that's aimed at breaking the filibuster is that they're going to be targeting conservative Democrats in states like North Dakota and West Virginia um, to to get them to side with the Republicans. So they need 60 votes. That's going to be the, the challenge that's going to do it. At the same time, you're not going to be able to filibuster forever, you, you wouldn't think. And the, the my guess is the more the Democrats try to dig in their heels as a minority, the more that's going to kind of embolden Donald Trump. There are three names that are emerging as the leading candidates, um, all of them in their early to mid-50s. And that's there were a number of other names that were being thrown around. And the one caution I had was age does matter in this regard because even though – you know, 55 or 60 or 65, you know, that, that's the new, you know, 40 or 45. The, the truth is presidents are looking with their Supreme Court appointments. They want people that are going to be there for decades. And so one of the guys that they're looking at, um, 51 years old, another 49 years old, a third 54 years old, um, clearly they're, they're looking, Trump is looking to try to find someone who is going to be on the bench for decades in order to, you know, affect his policies. In any event, he says he's going to make the decision on Friday and uh, announce it sometime next week. Um, I guarantee you, we will discuss it because whoever he nominates will be controversial. It's 1154. We're going to find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind for WTMJ Today. That's coming up. Please stick around. 1157, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Eric Bilstead, I'm looking at the radar here. It looks like there's like nothing going on from where we are south. Mm-hmm. And it looks like there's, of course, snow to the, the north. And I'm going up to West Bend. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> so, so you'll, you'll taste it. You'll see that, it. That, that's okay. It, it is Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it, it is Wisconsin. You can handle a little bit of snow. We just haven't seen it for a while. It's different for us. It's a, it's a, it, right, 35, we must be right on that level. Again, I don't know if it's raining at our studios yet because we're in the middle of the thing. We're in the middle of the whole building. But 35 degrees outside. I, I tell you, I, I, will take, I will take this any time. If the choice is 35 and a little bit of mixed precipitation or, um, I don't know, 
five degrees below zero. <laughs> Give me the 35 degrees. The worst part is that ice. That's oh, yeah. the, the driving on ice. Oh, yeah, there's right. nothing you can do with it, right. right? There's no way. Some people are better at driving in snow than others. Other right. people can handle rain better. Right. Oh, I agree with you. No, ice, it's at, at freezing rain, and then, of course, it gets heavy, and the power lines come down, and you've got a mess. But we don't have any of that around here. So, right. And it's going to be fine in West Bend. I'm confident of that. What do you got coming up on the big show? Well, we are tracking the weather. Brian Goddard is going to give us a few minutes. He'll join us for about 10 or 15 minutes in the next half hour. We'll even take a phone call or two if someone has a question for Mr. Goddard. Of course, he's keeping eyes on the uh, the weather, so we'll we'll do that. Uh, obviously, last night was a big deal for Marquette fans. We're going to dig into the Marquette win. Go Warriors. Big, Go big, Warriors. big deal. And they're building a wall. It's going up, says Donald Trump, during the 4-1. We'll dig in what that actually means, putting up a wall between here and Mexico. Stick around. That is all coming up on WTMJ Today. I am out of time, but I'm back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Drive safe. Have a great Wednesday. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.